Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Depression can affect people from all different walks of life, even Christians. David Murray stops by to join the host to talk about depression. How can we help those who struggle with this affliction? And is there really such a thing as a happy Christian? Keep listening after the conversation to find out how you can enter a drawing for David Murray's newest book. All right, so today we are very excited and, dare I say, happy to have our special guest on, David Murray. He is a local church pastor. He's also professor at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, and you may know him by some of his more well-known books, uh, Christians Get Depressed Too, and his latest, The Happy Christian, which we just joked around that there must be one out there somewhere. Hi, David. How are you doing? Hi, Amy. It's lovely to talk to you, and uh, I'll tolerate talking to the other two. (laughs) That's that's typically how people feel. You are not worthy, brother. I'm I'm the happier one out of the three, I think. And Dave, you know, I'm kind of, I'm just impressed about the fact that you could write a a book called The Happy Christian while you're living in Grand Rapids. (laughs) As a Scotsman. (laughs) That's impressive. um, the the response to the book from the reformed community has been very similar to your own it's just like what happy christians it's like reformed people we just don't do happy so do you feel like you have to like be openly happy now that you wrote a book like that well it's better than being openly depressed all the time you know it's a lot of pressure though isn't it um it does well david it brings up a great point and if you don't know if you've never been to david's blog he has a terrific blog um, called uh, Head, Heart, and Hand, mm-hmm. and it's very helpful. And one of the things you'll find uh, is that there's a theme in, in much of David's writings these days and, and his ministry dealing with the issue and, and related issues uh, regarding depression. As Amy's already mentioned, his book, uh, Christians Get Depressed Too, and now his latest book, uh, Dealing with Happiness. Um, David, where does that come from? Um, I mean, you're, you're a pastor in a local church, so I can guess some of the reasons um, why, why you feel uh, compelled to, to address the issue of depression. But just in your own experience as a pastor, as a teacher, as a husband, a father, where has this um, uh, evident passion to, to help Christians that are depressed, where does that come from? Um, it came, first of all, really from a, a very personal concern, which was that my own wife, who is naturally very ebullient and buoyant, far happier person than I am, <laughs> is slumped into a, a really deep and long depression. It's really around about the birth of our third and fourth children, and, and it was pregnancy-related, we can see with hindsight. And it, it, it totally turned my world upside down because I'd been always very strong on uh, you cannot be a Christian and be depressed. If you are, you're a, you're a sinning Christian, you're a backslidden Christian. And so where's the sin? Let's find it. Let's, you know, cast it out and get this person back to happiness again. And it, it just didn't work in my wife's case because, as I said, naturally she was very happy and spiritually she puts me in the shade. Hmm. And we just, I just couldn't figure this out. It didn't fit into my little boxes. And I, I suppose it also made me confront that 
in my pastoral ministry up till then, I'd been pretty useless as well in helping people with depression, which was very common where I was pastoring the North uh, West Highlands of Scotland. So that really, you know, blew my world apart and really forced me into the Bible, into far deeper thinking and listening, actually, maybe more than anything else. And I had to help my wife, so I had to learn how to help my wife, and in the process, help myself and became much more helpful to others, many of whom are, were suffering from similar to Shona, a quite deep depression. Yeah, and so David, you say this sort of turned your world upside down or blew your world apart. Um, what kind of things did this did this make you? You do, obviously, as a Christian, as a pastor, you're wanting to be faithful to Scripture. Mm. But what did you see? It's, it's, I don't want to put it in the way of saying, you know, where was Scripture inadequate mm. for the problem? But right. where, where did the problem manifest itself in a way that Scripture did not directly address and, and you had to look elsewhere, if you like? Um, I don't think I would put it that way so much, Carol. I think I would say that there's a difference between biblical counselling and Bible-only counselling. Mm. And I suppose my own route was Bible-only counselling. But I came to see that that was actually not the Bible's view of counselling, that the biblical view of counselling took account not just of the soul, but of the body, of the environment, of genes, of social factors, even of the, the brain thinking patterns. And, and so it's not like, okay, we've got Bible verses over here and we've got everything else over there. No, we've got the Bible that we're using as our lens with which to view the human person, with which to view the human um, dilemma and human problems. And so it was more a case of, uh, instead of using the Bible as my only instrument of healing, as it were, it was learning how to use the Bible uh, to use it and other means of healing in a biblical way. So it was more a widening, a holistic view of the human person, human problems that um, I really eventually came to. Yeah. You have you have a helpful, um, uh, really, I guess, kind of an appendix at the end of Christians Get Depressed too on that very issue, the sufficiency of Scripture. How do we think about the sufficiency of Scripture? I thought that was very helpful where you talk about the Scripture as a lens to view these other things, that God has given us in addition to his word, he's given us some other means uh, to to find uh, help, and so it, I, I think I think your distinction of biblical versus Bible alone is 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 helpful in that way because God has given us things like doctors and wise people who know how to ask questions and counsel and and get to our hearts. So I think that's that was very um, I thought that was very helpful, and it's interesting because as as I've read the book, and, and I found it to be very helpful, um, by the way, David, I, I, I'm really glad you wrote it. And for those who haven't seen the book, Christians Get Depressed Too, it's it's thin, it's not intimidating, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's a great way to kind of help your thinking. And, and one of the things that you, I think, attack very well is the, the, the false choice between either having enough faith or getting some medical care. Right. Because oftentimes those things are pitted against the other. Now, on the one hand, we may have certainly a problem where maybe people are over-medicated. I think that's a worthy discussion mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes in churches, there's a stigma attached to receiving medical care if you're depressed. How do you, how do you counsel people um, in regard to seeking out 
medical care. Yeah, I think what you said there is very important that there is this huge problem of over-medication, especially over here in the States. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something we, we rush to, first of all. Uh, it's, it's something that is down the road a bit, you know, after trying other remedies, other means of healing. Um, but and, and also to view it not as something that is necessarily lifelong. Again, sometimes medication is just needed for a few months, six months or so, just to help people up to be able to start thinking again, processing their thoughts again. Um, I think a lot of the misunderstanding arises from ignorance and if you think about it, as, as Calvinists, as Reformed believers, we believe our whole bodies are fallen. That's why, you know, my skin has psoriasis. I've had blood clots in my life. Um, you know, Carl's hair is falling out and things like that. <laughs> Thanks for the um, reminder of that, David. I most much appreciate it. <laughs> um, so, you know, all these lesser parts of us are, are falling apart yeah. and falling out. Um, and yet somehow or other, we think the most complex organ in our body remains untouched by the fall. Yeah. And, you, you know, all the electricity and chemistry going on in this, this computer, as it were, which has more switches in it mm -hmm. than all the computers in the world put together. Yeah, so I think a lot of it is, is an unreformed anthropology that... Um, sort of takes the, the brain and somehow thinks it's it's exempt from the fall. Yeah. And I think if we can begin to help people see that our spiritual life depends on our brains and that, you know, we receive uh, truth through our brains and also we process our thoughts and then articulate them and also feel as a result of our thoughts. And therefore, if this factory, this CPU goes wrong, then, you know, our processing abilities and our feeling is, is going to be affected, damaged as well. Mm. That raises an interesting question, David. I know that one of, one of the other aspects of your, your, your writing ministry and, and your video ministry has been use of the internet by Christians. Mm. And, I mean, you're well aware that research on exposure to internet pornography is, has shown that, that the brain's neural pathways reconfigure themselves mm, through mm. prolonged exposure to pornography. Uh, moving away just perhaps temporarily from depression at this point to, to those who are addicted to pornography, and I don't think there is a pastor out there who has not come across this problem numerous times among his congregation. How does the, the what we now know to be the, the physical aspect of of, of internet pornography addiction factor into how you would counsel or pastor somebody who is trying to to break free from that? Yeah, I think you're probably referring to that well-known saying, the cells that fire together wire together. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, my kids every spring, they start beating down paths in the forest behind our house, and it's pretty tough at first, but you know, within a week or two, the, the paths are beaten down, the undergrowth is cleared away, and they're whizzing through these paths like ex-gamers. And that similarly happens in our brains. The more we think down a certain path, the easier it becomes to think down a certain path, and it becomes our default. And that's kind of despairing initially when you hear of that, oh no, I've you know created these pathways through porn or through negativity or whatever. But the encouraging thing is that we can actually um, change that. And a lot of the PET scans have shown this as well. For example, abuse victims, especially kids, their brains are different. Uh, they have wired differently as they've grown up. 
Uh, and yet, research has also shown that with good counselling and a lot of love in their life, that brain can actually change back to a much more healthy pattern. And I think we've got to believe that, you know, the renewing of our minds by the intake of biblical truth can do the same for us. It can rewire our brains. It can it can block up the pathways that we have built and beaten down, and it can get us onto a far more healthy way of thinking. So I think science, in a way, initially is discouraging, and yet, I believe God uses that science as well to renew our minds and rebuild better pathways of thinking. That's good. That's good. Uh, David, um, one question I, I know that people ask me a lot. Um, at what point in, in a person's struggle, when they begin to see their life and if there's a level of depression or a level of anxiety that they now see is is really negatively impacting their life or the people around them, uh, is generally speaking, at what point do we tell them, you know, you ought to go talk to a doctor. Mm-hmm. You okay. really need to see a doctor. At what point should they consider that? Yeah, I mean, we all have blue days or, or weeks right. at, at times. We, 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 we all have low periods in our life. And I'm afraid some people just in these ordinary everyday blues, they do end up going to a doctor and ending up in antidepressants, which is just unnecessary usually. Um, but what I usually try and speak in three dimensions. Uh, for example, if you look at any book, internet site on depression, you'll find 12 to 15 symptoms of depression. And they usually say, if you can tick five, six, seven of these, then you're probably depressed. Now, so you're talking about a, a, a width there, a, a range of symptoms. So you, it's not just if you've got two or three or four or five, but it's really you're looking at seven, eight, nine yeah. in terms of width. And then you think of um, length, how long you've had this for. It's not just like for a day or even a week or even two. Um, I usually look at three to four weeks, preferably four, Mm -hmm. uh, before I think, okay, this is a pattern that's not going to be broken without intervention. And then I usually think of depth. It's not just, you know, I feel a wee bit sad or a wee bit angry or a wee bit down. No, there's got to be an intensity to it. Uh, it's got to be deeper than a normal, just a slump. And so I usually try and talk to people about these three dimensions. And then as we talk these through, we begin to realize, okay, this isn't just you know, your everyday, hey, I'm feeling a bit down, but this needs some kind of intervention, whether it's pastoral or medicinal. Right. Well, let's, um, let's talk about your book, The Happy Christian. Um, how... How do you define happiness, David? Is it is it a mood? Is it a an an optimistic outlook on life? And and lastly, and perhaps more importantly, can Carl ever be happy? Can we make <laughs> Carl happy? Or, or can the people around Carl ever be happy? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that that is even possible with God. All things are possible. Um, and you you want to tell Katrina that as well. <laughs> I should just say that uh, David and I have an interesting connection in that our wives, uh, Shona and Katrina, were at high school together, so yeah. known each other most of their lives. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm sure there's some very interesting stories to tell through that, uh, no doubt. No, but, none uh, at all. None yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and what puzzles me is it's my wife that ended up depressed. That's <laughs> puzzles us all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Anyway, back to what is that's happiness. Good. Yes, what yes. is happiness? Yeah. 
I think you know, when I wrote that book, it was really a flip side to Christians Get Depressed who actually thought of writing, you know, Christians can be happy to. <laughs> um, this was the publisher's choice. Okay. So what is happiness? I would define it like this. It's a God-centered, God-glorifying, God-given sense of God's love that's produced by a right relationship to God in Christ and that flows out in loving service to God and others. No, I didn't just think that up. <laughs> um, let me just quickly exegete that. I think okay. I want you just to hear in the midst of that the God-centeredness of it because most secular views of happiness and even false Christian views of happiness are very man-centered. Starts right. with me, continues with me, ends with me. But as real Christian happiness begins with God, it's centered within him, it's, it's given by him, and it results in him being exalted. And I believe it all flows out from that, just that core issue of being in a right relationship to him in Christ. And I, I don't either mean they're just objectively, but, you know, subjectively too, that it's not just our justification, but that we are living in a right relationship to him. And I believe it flows out. It's not just the ends in me. I receive this, but then it flows out in worship to God and service of others, which even science has shown actually that it, that in itself produces happiness. So even then, if you are struggling with depression or right. anxiety, you can still be the happy Christian? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think it's possible, but I think what you usually find with people who are recovering from depression is it's it's an up and down. It's mm -hmm. a struggle. It's a battle. It's a fight. It's not, okay, I'm going to switch a switch and I was depressed yesterday and I'm happy today. But the, the battle goes so that the depression gradually diminishes and the, the happiness or the joy gradually returns. And that's not a smooth path. Sometimes one, you know, beats down the other. But on the whole, over a, a period of months, you're hoping that the joy does win out. However, there are things in people's lives it, that are always going to be sad. You know, if you've got a terminal illness, if you've, you know, lost a loved one, if, if your child is is rebellious. Nobody's saying, hey, be happy about that. No, these are painful agonies that continue in life. And yet, we must believe that regardless of our circumstances and our situation, together with that pain, that sorrow, alongside and hopefully overcoming it, there can also be a happiness, a joy. Like the Apostle Paul says, after you know, listing all the things he's been through and is going through, he says, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And and I think that's the struggle. We think we either have to be one or the other. Right. And yet in our Christian lives, I think God often combines both of them. Right. That's really good. And and you make, you make I think, a, a terrific um, point in your book, Christians Get Depressed Too, where we're playing off of Jesus's uh, parable of the talents. You, you talk about, I think, very helpfully, um, uh, how, how can we look upon our depression as, as a talent, something to invest for the glory of God and for the good of others. And I think that that's very important because, again, what you're not giving us here is some uh, prescription that a Christian must always feel good. Um, 
And that's good because we know that we don't no. always always feel good. Yeah. No, I think I think it was Dr. James Dobson who said there's nothing wasted in God's economy. Hmm. Now, sometimes, in fact, oftentimes when somebody's in depression, they just think this is just such a waste of my time, my life. Why is this happening? This is pointless. There's no good that can come out of this. And yet we've got to believe if God has brought this into our lives, then there is good that can come out of it. And I think I often think of the the oyster uh, that produces the pearl at the end of the day, or um, if I'm speaking Scottish, the peril. Um, it starts with a little grain of sand that irritates the oyster and it starts coating it to make it less painful with this substance and and that creates even more irritation in a way and so it keeps trying to coat this thing and the end result for all the discomfort is a beautiful peril at the end of the day and I've seen that in so many depressed people's lives that yeah it's a painful process to go through but God produces beauty in them and through them especially as being much more helpful counsellors and comforters of others. That's good. It's a very, very practical question, uh, David. Uh, I mean, we're good Presbyterians. We believe that the, the gathered corporate worship is absolutely central mm-hmm. to the life of the church. Uh, all you've said thus far is, is excellent, but how would you see that as being helped, aided, embodied in the corporate worship of God's people on the Lord's Day? Yeah, I think the first thing is that pastors themselves speak of their own weaknesses. Uh, There's nothing worse for a church with depressed people in it to look at the pulpit every Sunday and see a guy who's at least um, acting as if he's got it all together. There are no problems in his life. He's got this perfect family, perfect health, perfect ministry. Carl's church doesn't struggle with seeing that. What do you do if what, what do you do if you don't have any weaknesses? <laughs> <in the past? laughs> so I think that and that spreads into the church community, and that you know other Christians then begin to feel able to speak of their weakness and their brokenness, and it becomes a more comfortable environment for people just to be honest, uh, just to be sincere and truthful with one another, and I think that goes a long way because. Many of, the, especially the the young women I've spoken to with depression, young mothers, they they look around their church and all they see are these you know families of five plus kids, perfectly clothed, coming out of the perfect minivan and behaving perfectly in church, and right. and then they are striving for this impossible perfection, not seeing behind the scenes, and it's got an incredibly debilitating effect on people. And then I think a second thing is. Carol, you've you've written about it often, is is the need to include in our worship the psalms and the songs of lament Mm -hmm. that that are much more realistic than many of the over-triumphalistic or unmixed triumphalistic songs. I think pastors should preach on on mental illness. If you were to ask how many pastors had preached on homosexuality, for example, in the last year, then you're probably looking at most of them uh, many times, in fact. And yet, the incidence of mental illness is far higher than of homosexuality, especially in our churches. And yet, it's hardly ever preached upon. And I think just especially helping people understand the holistic nature of the human being and of of the problems that afflict us. Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, that's interesting because not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, you, you go to second, when you read second Corinthians, you see that Paul, uh, I think in contemporary parlance, people would have diagnosed him as a depressive, mm-hmm. um, just as he writes about his struggle with anxiety and the deep pain he felt in his relationship with uh, the Corinthian church. So there's, there's rich material in the Bible um, to help people wrestle through some of those those issues, I think that's uh, I think that's good as well as in church history. I mean, some of our heroes were were men who who struggled with deep deep anxiety and and depression. So that's helpful. Yeah, and I think to bring it to Christ as well, you know, we have to be careful here because mm-hmm. obviously anything he experienced was sinless, right, right. and and yet we know he experienced fear. Yes. We're told that in Hebrews. You think of the darkness that he felt on the cross, that sense of utter and total forsakenness and abandonment. You know, that is what the depressed person feels. Right. And and so we have someone, a savior who who knows, who understands, who has felt it, who has right. been in the far deeper, in fact, yeah. Yeah. than, than anyone as of us ever has. Yeah. And and so again, it's just tremendously comforting. Yeah, yeah. Well, David, this has been um, really helpful. Thanks for the work that you're doing, for the things that you're writing. Um, it's it's a gift to the church. Um, it's great for me as a pastor to be able to um, uh, point people not only to your books, but to your blog as well. Um, again, if, if you haven't been to David Murray's blog, Head, Heart, and Hand, it's really helpful. He updates it frequently. There's lots of good material on there. His video series is What's on that? There. There's His a video video, series yeah. on there, David, that you all have done that's that's terrific. Uh, people talking about depression and, and what they've gone through. And um, it, lest you think that the only thing that David does is depression, he's he's a <laughs> seminary professor, he's a theologian, he, 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 he teaches Old Testament, he's written a wonderful book actually that we keep in our bookstore called Jesus on Every Page, 10 Simple Ways to Seek and Find Christ in the Old Testament. It's really good. We've gotten it into the hands of a lot of our Sunday school teachers. Um, so uh, we, we just encourage you, if you find something with uh, David Murray's name on it, the right David Murray, the Scottish guy in uh, in Grand Rapids, um, then get it. You're, you'll find it to be very helpful for you. And check out his blog. Again, David, thanks for, uh, for spending some time with us. Uh, continue to, uh, to do what you're doing. It's, it's, it's very helpful for us. Thank you so much, Todd. And has this really happened that we've got through this and Carol hasn't mentioned the happy app? Oh, we got to close with that. Yeah. That's true. Are you, are you familiar thanks with the phrase, all. jumping the shark? <laughs> <laughs> I, I signed this with you particularly in mind. <laughs> see, da- see, Carl. David has oriented his entire ministry around helping you. So, su- such is yeah. the reason for the We're happy app. We're going to have to uh, swipe Carl's phone and download that happy Absolutely. app for him. I, I'm sure my life will be transformed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's there already. And just... <laughs> He's just not telling us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. God bless all the work you're doing. Sunshine, goodbye rain She's wearing my school ring on a chain She's my steady, I'm her man I'm gonna love her all I can Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin A podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals A coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen 
that exists to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. Head over to mortificationofspin.org to enter a drawing for an opportunity to win The Happy Christian by David Murray. On the next episode, the hosts share some of the books they'll be reading at the beach this summer. Todd. Yes. That's a very large, serious-looking tome you have with you. Yes, yes. No pictures? No pictures, which I'm of the opinion that every book ought to have some pictures. Every history book, especially, or biography ought to have pictures. I've had this book sitting on my shelf that I've been dying to get to, and so I'm looking forward now, with a lesser run around this summer, to read... um, G.K. Beale's new book, Hidden But Now Revealed, which is a biblical theology of mystery. Come back to hear that next time. And don't forget to read more from Carl, Amy, and Todd on their blogs at mortificationofspin.org. Nope, the happy Christian. Yes. Right? The happy Christian. Singular. Okay. Oh, there's only one. <laughs> there's only one. We located him, and he's not is. in Grand Rapids. <laughs> and it's not Carl. <laughs> oh, I had a question about that later. We'll I'm in touch with my emotions. That's yeah. why I'm in the OPC. Yeah. Anger and cynicism. Right. That's the only two you need to be in connection. Oh, my goodness. Okay.